0: Okay, if you could make your way back in and have a seat, appreciate it. And again, it had been my hope to be able to project up on the screen something, but that's not going to work, so. Uh, I want to start with a story about a plane crash that I heard about recently. Uh, There were obviously survivors who lived to tell the story. And actually, the report stated that this small plane... Which had four passengers on it, only unfortunately had three parachutes. The first guy stepped up and said, I'm a leading heart surgeon and my patients need me. And so he grabbed the first parachute and he jumped out of the plane. The second guy said, I'm a rocket scientist and I am considered the smartest man alive and the world needs me. So he grabbed the second pack and he jumped out. The third guy stepped up and said, I'm Pope Francis and I'm old. And I've lived a long life already, and you, young man, have your whole life in front of you, so here, you take this parachute and jump. The young man said, don't worry about it, sir, there are only two parachutes left. You see, the smartest man alive just jumped out of the plane holding my backpack. (laughs) Did you get it? No? I'll explain it to you later. See, I like that Kate at least gets it. (laughs) How many of you have ever heard of Inigo Lopez? (laughs) Inigo Lopez was born in Loyola, Spain on October 23rd, 1491. He was the youngest of 13 children, and his mother died unexpectedly. When he was age seven, despite all of the cards stacked against him, despite the misfortune of his own mother's death, as a young man growing up, Inigo wanted to become someone important as a teenager. he worked hard to connect with individuals of great wealth and power and renown, and in time. These wealthy aristocrats became his patron, helping to further his dreams and his aspirations. In time, he decided that becoming a soldier would help to further his career, so he went into the military at a young age. He served faithfully, received promotions, until ultimately he became a commander of his own troop. However, it was while a commander in 1521, at the age of 30, at the Battle of Pamplona, Defending this Spanish city against French invaders, a cannonball struck his legs. One leg was merely broken, but the other leg was badly mangled. To save his life and possibly his legs, doctors performed several surgeries. There were no anesthetics during this time, and so each surgery was excruciating. Despite their best efforts, Inigo's condition deteriorated, and after suffering for about a month, Doctors told him to prepare to die. However, to their surprise, another week went by, another month went by, and Inigo did in fact survive, although he had a a year-and-a-half-long convalescence approximately. It was while recovering that Inigo had nothing better to do than to read. So someone brought him in a Spanish Bible, and he began to read. And he had a powerful encounter with God, and he was radically converted to Christianity. In honor of his new salvation, he decided he would change his name. So he took a form of his name, and he went from Inigo to Ignatius. And some of you maybe have even heard of him as Saint Ignatius of Loyola. Now, even with this recent conversion experience, which was so powerful, Ignatius found this. He found that on some days, they were taken up with hopelessness and despair. He ended up angry and depressed. He also discovered that on the days in which he was more aware of God and God's kindness and goodness to him, on those days, he seemed to experience more peace and joy. He came to the realization that actually ended up becoming a book. He came to the realization that some thoughts brought him happiness while others brought him sorrow. When he considered the differences between these thoughts, he recognized that two powerful forces were acting upon him. Evil brought him unpleasant thoughts, while God brought him happiness. Now, Ignatius worded it differently than what I have. He said this, In our lives, we want to pay attention to two things. We want to pay attention to desolation and consolation the word desolation if you break it down into its roots is desolation desolation literally means without the sun synonyms for desolation are words like emptiness or barrenness or loneliness it carries the idea of being deserted or abandoned some of you remember uh, on old maps, or even sometimes on old globes that they used to have, when there was an area that seemed to be particularly treacherous, they would put words such as, abandon hope, all you who enter here. Or sometimes they would even say, here there be dragons. That's the concept of the word desolation. Consolation, again broken down into its constituent parts, is con- It means with the sun, and synonyms are words like relief, cheer, succor, comfort, or encouragement. And what he was emphasizing is this, is that our thoughts affect our feelings. Our thoughts evoke an emotional response inside of us. And if we dwell on negative things in our minds, we find ourselves often overwhelmed and struggling with desolation. We might call it things like discouragement or disappointment or even depression. And if you hang there long enough, it can even lead to an abandonment of all hope called suicidal thoughts. And that's what he came to as an understanding. However, if we give place and emphasis upon the goodness and kindness of God as it's evidenced in our lives, even in the face of some challenging situations, we find ourselves moving towards consolation or encouragement or peace and joy. A lightness enters our soul. So, here's my premise for today. Every single one of you only have so much space. You only have so much space in your life. And what are you filling it with? I recently uh, did something I have never done before. I've traveled a bit around the world, and every time I travel, I take a carry-on, and then I have a check-on bag. You understand what I mean, right? Right? Carry-on, you can actually take onto the plane and put it in the bins up above. Check-on is usually this big one that's like this mammoth bag that you put in as much as you can, lest you need it. And every time I would travel, because my wife was packing for me, we took everything, including the kitchen sink, with me. Everything. I mean, we took it all. I mean, it wasn't enough to have a pair of jeans that you know, you guys know, you can wear a pair of jeans forever. You know that, right? I mean, they... Even if they get to a point where they stand up on their own, who cares? No one can tell. This time, though, I said to my wife, because I was traveling with two other buddies who made the decision for me, they made the decision that though we were going for two weeks, we would only take a carry-on bag. Now, you do know a carry-on bag is pretty small, right? Right? Carry-on bags allowed in planes. And by the way, some planes are different, but the biggest carry-on that you're allowed is 21 inches. That's smaller than this stand right here. It's a small bag. We put everything that we needed. And by the way, because I knew I only had so much space, I guarantee you I was extremely picky about what I put in there. My suggestion to you is your life is like that bag and you only have so much room. What are you wanting to carry around with you? What kind of baggage do you want for your life? Or maybe this would be a better way to do it. At least this fits my life. We all feed ourselves something.
1: We all eat. How many of you are looking forward to the picnic today?
0: Here, here's my point. If you choose to feed upon a diet of Twinkies and Oreos, as tasty as that might be, you probably won't be overly healthy. And your trip might not be overly successful. In the same way, what you're feeding yourselves and your soul, and by the way, by soul, I mean your mind, your will, and your emotions, what you're feeding yourself spiritually can have a dramatic impact upon your feelings. If you feed your mind and soul negative thoughts of anxiety or guilt or shame or fear, I call them the fogs of life. They they just tend to permeate and they hang over the landscape. If you feed yourself those things, don't be surprised if you begin to identify yourself with those things. Have you ever noticed that there's a difference between saying "I feel something" than "I am something"? I can feel afraid, but there's a difference between feeling afraid and being afraid. We say things like "I am afraid," "I am ashamed," "I am unworthy," instead of "I feel that way." You have allowed negative thoughts to actually begin to so permeate your life that you become identified with those negative things. What you feed your mind will produce a crop. And that crop ultimately becomes your identity. This is why Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, just listen to this. For those of you that are taking notes, you can just note it down. Chapter 10, verse 3-6, 2 Corinthians. But listen to this. For though we walk in the flesh, He's talking about in this natural world. We do not war according to the flesh or according to this world, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. In other words, they're not like physical things, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Bringing our thoughts captive. And this really, honestly, is the whole basis of what I want to share with you today. That for every event, and I want you to kind of think of it this way, for every event, there is a thought that goes with it. Whether that thought be true or not. And then that thought creates a feeling. So, when I was little, my dad, uh, he, he, he again, he, he became a Christian. He got saved. His life turned around. Uh, so please don't judge my dad harshly because of some stories I tell you. Most of those stories are pre-Christ stories. He became a different man. He really did. But in the old days, my dad uh, regularly knew nothing but anger and violence. That's all he knew. In fact, honestly... If you had asked my dad, if Facebook were around back in the day, and my dad were going to post something, he would regularly post that the thing he enjoyed the most was getting in fights with guys over at the bar, because he was a strong man and he reveled in his strength. He wanted to prove himself constantly. Well, that same sense of anger and violence was played out upon the kids, except for I was the only boy at that time, so most of it was directed at me. So... Anger and violence would come my way. There were times when my dad, I can remember one occasion, uh, my dad got angry because I was making too much noise with my sisters apparently or fighting with my sisters or something. And my dad came storming upstairs where we were playing while they had company downstairs. He picked me up physically and threw me down the stairs. On the way down the stairs, I hit this, uh, we had like a little kind of a shelf at the bottom, but it was about a foot-wide shelf, and on top of the shelf is where we used to store our games. I hit that shelf with my head and then collapsed down there, knocked out. My dad came down in stairs. I'm bleeding all over the place. He's scared. They have to rush me to the hospital, leave guests at home, babysitting the rest of the kids. That event created a thought. What what thought do you think I might have
1: had? Pardon? Okay, I wasn't
0: even awake at that point, but that's probably true. What else? Fear. What do you think I thought about my father? Hate. What do I? What do you think I thought he thought about me? Pardon?
1: He didn't love me. So, I felt
0: fear, anger, but rejection, unloved. So, I had an event that created a thought. Whether the thought was true or not, I had that thought. That thought created
1: feelings. What do you think I might have felt? Shame. Guilt. Hurt.
0: Worthless. So, an event created a thought which created a feeling. Which, those feelings are deep inside of you. Those thoughts are deep inside of you. Here's my point. There comes a point in time, though, where you go from event to thought to feeling, but it becomes so ingrained in you that something can happen and you can even bypass the thinking process and go straight to the feeling. Something can happen that without even thinking about it, you associate with something else. You didn't logically process it. It just happened internally. And you jump right over thinking about it, right to feeling Let me ask you it this way. Have you ever overreacted to a situation?
1: And have you ever taken time to think,
0: what? what's the deal? Why did I react this way? What's going on? Maybe it's in your marriage. Uh, because I'm a guy, I'll be the guy. Um, your wife does something. Um, No, maybe it's easier to say she said something.
1: Your wife said something. And you blow up. You're angry. You're mad. You yell about it. You're upset. And then you step back and you think, wait a minute. All she said is, are we going to eat now? and you blew up.
0: And then you're trying to figure out, why did I get so mad? What's the deal? I would suggest to you that whatever she said or whatever she did is associated to something before that that you then, without having to think about it, immediately felt the same thing that you used to feel when your mom said it or your dad said it or somebody else said and did it. And you immediately jump to the feeling which is rejection, anger, hurt, unworthiness, and all of that explodes out of you. That's the kind of thing that I think happens for us. Now, sometimes, depending upon how old you are, and perhaps even how long you've walked with God, maybe you've even processed some of that in your own heart and mind. You've looked at what's inside of you and why you act the way you do, why you think the way you do, why you speak the way you do, and you've begun to process it, and you've seen some help from the Lord in those kinds of things. But here's my point, just knowing that it happens, even, and please, um, if you can, listen carefully to this, just having truth on your tongue or in your mind doesn't necessarily
1: change anything. Jesus
0: said, you shall know the truth. That word know is an intimate word of knowledge, of relationship. It means it's a a truth that has impacted you. How many of you know more than what you actually do? You know better, right? You know that that brownie Sunday yesterday wasn't the best thing for you. You know it doesn't meet your caloric intakes. You know that um, Sarah's Sweet Shop
1: is not a place you should be stopping. But it calls your name. It's like the siren
0: that Ulysses had to fight with. You know more and better than what you do. Just having knowledge, even truth knowledge, doesn't necessarily change you. I want to suggest to you it takes even more than that. Um, I want to suggest that stuffing your feelings doesn't really fix anything. Just controlling them, you know, damping them down. I shouldn't feel this way, cut it out. Ultimately, one way or another, those feelings are going to explode somewhere. Something's going to happen. Uh, They're going to come to the surface. Reading self-help books and listening to podcasts isn't necessarily going to fix all your problems. I don't care how good they are. Singing the song, let it be, let it be, let it be, let it be, doesn't necessarily change your situation. Or should we have done it more recently with Frozen? Let it go, let it go. (laughs) I don't know. Um, The problem is, at the end of the day, you still lay in your bed going over that same record again and again and again. This is how I feel. This is what I think. I want to suggest to you this, and if you get nothing else, get this, and then you can ignore the rest of what I say, uh, including my demonstration. I want to suggest to you that what we need, what we all need, is a power encounter with Jesus Christ. He alone is the truth that can change lives. Nothing else can really change your life it might help you get your life in some kind of order or control for a while because you have a strong will and you're able to do it. But there's going to come a point, no matter how strong your will is to lose weight, you're still going to eat that brownie. Somewhere, sometime. Or you're going to cheat on some calories. You're not going to count them quite what they should be. Ultimately, only truth itself, himself, can actually really change a life. So, What does that power encounter look like practically? And that's kind of what my illustration is. Let me just say up front, every illustration, even my words, they fall way short of what truth really is. So think of it kind of like this. And again, I know you guys who are smart, you can pick it apart. That's fine. Uh, I'm sure there are errors in it in terms of theology. But it's the only way I could think of to do it. We kind of start our lives with a clean slate. Think of your life as like a receptacle. It's this receptacle right here and I have it up here just so that you can see it a little bit better. Our life is a receptacle. Now, the truth is, we say we start out clean, but we really don't because the scripture makes it pretty clear that we were born in sin. We inherited the sin nature of our great 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 grandfather Adam. It all goes way back So we really don't start with a clean slate. But when we look at little babies, we think, oh, they're so innocent. that." But over time, you begin to put some stuff in your life. You begin to add to it. Now, maybe the stuff you add isn't all that bad. Maybe it starts out, kind of clear. So you just take a little bit of truth that somebody says, so when you're a baby you hear it enough, oh you're loved, you're so cute. And you add some and it looks good. Everything looks good. You're adding a little bit here, there, a little bit there, truth. But then I guarantee you just because of the nature of the life in which we live, there comes a point in time when some hard things begin to happen. And you begin to add just a little bit to it. And you find it doesn't take much for it to begin to change the very tenor of your life how you look, how you feel, how you think begins to change. And pretty soon you add more and more. In fact, now it's people are adding to it. People are saying things. Have you ever, when you were growing up, had kids say hard things to you? Say mean things to you? And what did you say back? You would say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words, wait a minute, that's not true. Words really hurt. Words can wound you deeply. And so more words are said, except for now, you don't even need people to add the words. You started adding your own words. I'm such a jerk. I'm stupid. Will I ever get this thing right? And for every word you keep adding, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, until you're full right up to the top, and you've got no room left in your container for anything else. You filled it with wrong identity issues. In fact, the truth is, if somebody lives with you for any length of time, you'd only fill it to the top. You start to actually overflow. It begins to come out on other people around you. Just get married and find out what it's like. You know you know that marriage that's going to fix everything? You know, if I could only get away from mom and dad and get married with somebody who really loves me, then my life would be just perfect. How's that been working? Here's my point. If you just keep adding the same old, same old, you're going to get the same old, same old. You're going to have lies. You're going to say things that just aren't true, coming out again and again and again. So what do we do? We need truth himself to come and to impact us. And what we need is more than just add a little bit more here or there that just gets diluted by the lies. We need something that's stronger, that's more substantive, to actually begin to displace the lies. So what I have chosen, and you can see here I used on purpose, Carol's corn syrup. Uh, Not only is this going to work, hopefully, but um, the point is this. The Scripture says His word, His truth, is sweeter than honey. His truth comes. And we begin to pour His truth. He comes and He says, I love you. I identify with you. I begin to put truth in you. And we find that though junk is still there, it's still coming out, we begin to see that what happens is the stuff down at the bottom begins to take root and all of the lies begin to be displaced in our lives until pretty soon we have truth. There's still junk in us that needs to be dealt with. And the way we continue to deal with that is very, very simply, we continue to add His truth. Encounters with God. And I know that for some people it's like, I don't need to go to the altar. I don't need to do that stuff. I already know the truth. I read the Bible. I read through the Bible every single year. But the only way you're going to have real truth is you've got to keep encountering Him. Every time there is an opportunity to come to a place where you can get prayer, you ought to do it anyways. Because I guarantee you, you still got some lies left in you. Some things that need to be taken out. Some stuff that needs to begin to be displaced in your life until suddenly you find, oh, I can be a pure receptacle for Him. And ultimately, in time, and by the way, we're going to eat this all later, in time, you find that all of the junk gets gone and what you're left with is he overflows in our lives. That's what he does. Now, the wise man Solomon said this, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. My question to you is, what are you putting in your heart? What are you putting inside of you? What is it that you are feeding yourself with? Do you find yourself, and I'm not talking, please, I I don't know how to say this other than to be direct because that's just who I am. When somebody makes a, a, a euphemistic statement like you know, somebody says something, oh, you're killing me. You saying back to them, oh, don't say that. You're not being killed. All that is is you being stupid. Everybody knows they mean it euphemistically. You're just being legalistically stupid. Stop it. I'm talking about serious words that you mean about yourself. When you say things like, I'm just so stupid sometimes. No, you're not. The scripture says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are a marvel to behold. If we could only see you. I I was talking to the guys in prayer uh, before service. And I was reminded uh, in prayer, actually, not previous. I was reminded of a vision that God gave Rick Joyner years ago. In which God took him to heaven. And in heaven, he saw people that he didn't recognize. The glory was so great, he began to fall down to worship him. They said, don't worship us. We're just people like you. And all of a sudden, he realized he knew these people. They were people that he knew on earth. But from the perspective of heaven, he was able to see the glory of God that's in each one. There's more glory in you than there is lie. There's more glory than there is negative because God has put his image inside of you. Paul puts it like this in Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report. And then, as if he didn't say enough, he says, if there's any virtue, and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. My question is, what are you meditating on? What are you spending your time thinking about in relationship primarily to yourself. Because if you don't get your vessel changed, all that's going to overflow on everybody else is always tainted waters. I was with a guy yesterday. Uh, He works on a farm near here, a large farm, huge farm. His whole job is the reverse osmosis machine. Do you know what that does on a farm? He takes all of the manure and he runs it through a filtration system until it comes out the other side. as clean water that they then can use. By the way, the same happens for all of you every day, whether you know it or not. But what he was talking about is that as long as you keep putting in junk, you're going to get junk out. What is it they used to say about computers? Garbage in, garbage out. But if you begin to allow God to encounter you, to meet with you, something can change. The psalmist put it this way <coughs> excuse me, if God be for you, who can be against you? Jesus, just to make sure I hit all of the bases, Jesus put it this way Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Do you know what the word pure is in the Greek, any of you? It's the word katharos from which we get our word catharsis or cathartic or catheter. And for any of you who have ever had a surgical procedure, the surgeon might go ahead and insert a catheter. And its purpose is that the impurities that is naturally in your body can be removed from your body. It doesn't bother the surgeon that you have impurities. It only bothers him if you allow them to remain in your body because if you do, they will poison you and make you sick. And so Jesus says, do you want to know what it means to be pure? In order that you can see God? It means expelling the bad. Getting rid of the negative that is in your life. One of the current trends that Uh, actually has manifested itself pretty clearly this weekend is called decluttering. Decluttering is just another way of saying spring cleaning. You remember those days when your mom would say, okay, time for spring cleaning. And every kid in this house said, oh, I hated that. Um, This is where you um, clean out your garage, your attic, your basement, your house. You get rid of all the junk that you don't need, and here's the danger. You only have limited space in your house. You do know that, right? Okay, you only have so much square footage. If you get rid of the junk, but you then buy somebody else's junk to put in your house, you have not decluttered at all. It doesn't work that way. Years ago, um, we had a guest speaker. Some of you guys, how many of you guys remember Mark Drake? Yeah, Mark Drake came through with his wife and his daughter. And they lived 12 months a year, year year-round, out of their suitcases. And he told us, I I forget whether he said it publicly or not, I know that we had it um, um, at lunchtime. He said he had one rule for his family. You have limited space in that bag. If you want to get something new, like you want a new pair of pants, no problem, we'll buy you a new pair of pants. But in order to get a new pair of pants, you have to get rid of an old pair of pants. You want a new shirt? Great. Buy a new shirt. Get rid of an old shirt. Jesus put it like this. Matthew chapter 12. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than themselves, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. The point he's making is, it's not enough just to get rid of the bad. You have to replace it with something more powerful that is better, that is stronger. Relationship with him. The truth that he speaks over your life. Uh, I don't know how many of you have ever uh, dealt with anxiety at all, Um, I have a friend who does. And uh, he said there there were several times over the years where he's had anxiety attacks. Again, he's one of the more mature, godly, wise men that I know. But he struggles with anxiety attacks at times. They come and they hit him hard. And he says, invariably, there will be a friend who means well who will come to them and say, don't you know, doctor, that perfect love casts out all fear? And he says, everything in him wants to strangle them. He says, I know that verse too, so what? What he needs is not just a verse, what he needs is that verse to become real in him. To actually displace the lie of anxiety and fear. For too many of us, we have allowed the enemy to have free reign over our thoughts and even over our words. The things we say that actually shore up the thinking that's in our mind. Now, let, let me be clear. Thoughts come fast and furious. I don't know if you've noticed that yet. How, how many of you have ever just been minding your own business and some stupid thought goes through your mind? You're like, where in the world did that come from? They come through your mind so fast. They, I don't think the issue is necessarily to stop every thought. But here's my point. So often what we do is we take that thought and we try to think about it. Like, where did that come from? I wonder if that comes from here or from there. You know, what, Was it a show I watched? Was it a book I was reading? We try to figure it all out. When the truth is, Jesus said, we're supposed to take thoughts captive and get rid of them. Not sit there and play with them for a while to try to figure out whether they're true or not. Watchman Nee said this. Although you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, you can keep it from building a nest in your hair. You can't stop thoughts from just going through your mind, but you can stop them from having free sway, to have control, to take up space that is unnecessary. You have authority over what you choose to dwell on, what you choose to think about. Um, We can't stop every thought from popping into our minds, but we can control the amount of time and energy that we give to those kinds of negative thoughts that ultimately come to a place of identifying us in a negative way. Eugene Peterson, I don't know how many of you guys know Eugene Peterson. He wrote the Bible, the message. He said this recently. He says, we cannot be too careful. What? (laughs) Called the message. We cannot be too careful about the words we use. We start using them. Get this. We start using them, but they end up using us. We start using them, but they end up using us. In other words, if you use words long enough about yourself that are lies, untruths, you will begin to believe it, and those words will then begin to control you if you hold on to them long enough. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever had an opportunity to have uh, investments. If you did, you would probably develop what is called a portfolio. A portfolio is basically a composite picture of all that you have invested in. Your portfolio might look like uh, a certain percentage of stocks, a certain percentage of bonds, CDs, uh, money market cash. Different things might be in your portfolio that comprises the whole picture. If your life were a portfolio, what would it look like? And in what percentage? How much percentage
1: of your life is given over to fear? Or guilt?
0: Or shame? or unworthiness versus how much of your life is given over to joy and peace in the Holy Ghost, contentment, gratitude, just a sense of thankfulness to God for life. Bill Johnson, uh, I just started doing this. I hadn't done this ever before. I, I forget even why I did it, but somehow I went on and I can't remember what it's called now. Anyways, Bill Johnson tweeted something. What's the whole thing called? Twitter. Thank you. I couldn't remember it. couldn't remember it. I I actually had that thought in my mind. No, that's not right. That sounds like a stupid word. Um, (laughs) Much better word is Bill Johnson tweeted. He tweeted this. Your mind is a wonderful tool, but a terrible master. Your mind is a wonderful tool, but a terrible master. I think that's one of the problems that we have is we live too much in our mind instead of in our spirits. Because his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are a child of God. My challenge to you this morning is that the way to deal with the junk in our lives is not merely to read your Bible more, although that it's not bad to read your Bible. Don't hear me say that. It's not even bad to pray more. Don't hear me say that. Reading your Bible in prayer is a good thing. But I believe what we need desperately is an encounter with God. If I could word it this way, what you and I need is revival. We need God to so pour out His Spirit that in one moment we are changed forever. It's no longer a battle because once God has gripped your heart with who you are, if God before you, who can be against you? I know that's the system my family grew up with. My family grew up with anger, with violence, with uh, judgment. I mean, you you could, I guarantee you, every Sunday leaving church, it was roast pastor, roast church Sunday. We had our ride home, the whole ride home. That's what we're talking about, what we didn't like. Or did you see how she dressed up there? And she calls herself a Christian. Her skirt was just barely touching her knees. That's how we lived. Doesn't mean that's how I want to live. But in order to change that inner thing that happens almost automatically where I bypass even the thought process, in order to change that, I need a power encounter with the living God. That's what I need. And that's what you need. It's not enough just to have truth. You have to know the truth. And when I talk about know the truth, it's not just memorized truth. That's just rote. That's just rhetoric that happens. I'm talking about an encounter with truth himself. Remember, your position is very simply this. You're in Christ. If you are a believer today, if you are a Christian, you are in Christ. You can't change that. Now, it doesn't mean that God doesn't come and deal with your performance. But your performance doesn't make you more in Christ. Or your lack of performance doesn't make you less in Christ. You are in Christ. Jean said it uh, in prayer before the service. She said, uh, and I don't even know if you remember this, when I preached through Ephesians so many years ago, uh, at one point, I forget how long, I think we stayed on chapter 1 for maybe 3 months or something like that. At one point, she reminded me that the actual wording of the text says in Ephesians 1, God God has made us accepted in Christ. It's not just that we're accepted. He made us accepted.
1: That's who you are. I'm loved by
0: God. Doesn't mean I don't do stupid things sometimes. Doesn't mean that I don't want God to change me. I do all the time. I want God to change me from the inside out. So I don't just control my behavior. I don't just control my words. I don't just control my thoughts. I have God come by his spirit and displace that junk from out of my life. Just because God comes and deals with your performance doesn't mean he doesn't love you. He comes from a place of love, a place of kindness, because he knows that that junk is going to destroy you otherwise. I want that kind of encounter with God. Do you? Because as a people, as a church, it's not enough that you just come here on Sunday mornings and you sit. All that means is you're a spectator. What we need to do is, as one people, to quote Acts chapter 2, come in one accord to one place where we seek God and believe God for him to pour out his spirit once again. He's done it for every single generation. There's not been a generation that has been missed. You hear about the dark ages. There were places and times when God poured out his spirit in powerful ways even then. I don't want this generation to miss what we have tasted. But all that taste has done is made us desperate for more. That's what I want. I want you to long for it, to want it, to know that the answer to your issues in life is not necessarily to come to church more. I'm not saying don't come to church. I think that's an immature posture. Okay, well, then I won't come to church. No, the answer is to come into a place where God might encounter you and change you forever. What we need is for God to touch our hearts and our minds so that we are changed. Now, the way I want to end is very simply this. If you recognize that you've got some junk in your life You've tried hard to be a better person. You've tried hard to be mature, to be a better husband, be a better wife, be a better kid, whatever it is. You've tried to control your words. Maybe you swear a little less than you used to. You know, you work in a job where everybody swears. They make up swear words you've never even heard of before. So it's just like it gets into your mind. And you say, well, I feel like I'm doing better. I don't swear like I used to. So, good. And I, I mean that sincerely, Good. Or maybe you've had some habits that have been bad habits and you've broken some of them and you're feeling better about it. Good. And I I mean that honestly, sincerely. But I just don't want to have control of those things. I want them to be gone. I want God to come in power. And if that is you, if your heart is, God, I don't want to stay the same. I want to be changed. And I know the only way it's going to happen is when I encounter you. Now, maybe that encounter, by the way, won't be a wholesale encounter today. Maybe God won't pour out His Spirit and we have tongues of fire on every head. I don't know. I hope He does. I think that would make the best picnic in the world. We wouldn't need a barbecue anymore. (laughs) But maybe God will meet with you individually and you will find something has shifted inside of you because you spent time in the presence of Jesus. Years ago, Andre Crouch sang a song, Jesus is the answer to the world today. Well, can I tell you he's the answer for the church too? Doesn't matter what your problem is, he's still the answer. It's not enough to follow Bob Newhart. Remember the skit that Bob Newhart did back years ago when somebody came into him for counseling help and they poured out all their woes upon Bob Newhart and he ended the whole thing by saying, okay, you want to pay me? Okay, you're going to pay me so much per hour. Here's how much you owe me right now, and I'm going to give you the solution. The solution is this. Stop it. Stop it. My point is this. Just trying to stop it doesn't always work. Because I wake up tomorrow, and I do some of the same stuff. What I need is him. If that's your heart, you're saying, that's me. That's what I want. I'm going to ask you just to stand. I know it takes courage, but to stand and say, I want that. I want him to change me from the inside out. Maybe this isn't a word for you. That's okay.
1: But if it is, here's the first step. The first
0: step is saying, God, I need you. God, I need you. Things have happened in my life that have made me, contributed at least to who I am. Maybe you've been burned in church, by the way. You've gone through some things in church that have hurt you deeply, and you've become cynical and hard. And you know, everything about you is watching things with a jaundice eye. Maybe it's been a pastor who has hurt you. So every time I stand up here, it's hard for you to get beyond that to hear if I even say anything you agree with. Doesn't matter where your wounding is, doesn't matter where your hurts are, doesn't matter where the events are whether in church or at home or in school, doesn't matter. Ultimately, we need Jesus to come and meet with us right here. Would you pray with me?
1: Father, I recognize that um,
0: in a message like this, the way to end it would be for the wind of Your Spirit to blow, the rain of God to come Pouring in bigger and better than any flood that we have seen this week in any surrounding area. We need You to come, O God. We can't make it happen. We can't control it. We can't manipulate it. But we can long for it. We can call for it. It says, in the time of the latter rain, pray for new rain. And that's what we're doing, Father. We're saying, we can't change. We can't really change from the inside out without You. So we're asking You to come, Father. And to encounter us. Even as You did with those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They're just going along their merry old way. But then You come upon them. And when You get done with them, everything changed. They said, did not our hearts burn within us? Let the fire of God come upon us, we pray, O God. Burn away the chaff the garbage from our lives. Lord, I I mentioned today, reverse osmosis, I don't even know what that looks like in the Spirit. All I know is we need to get rid of the junk and invite the power of the Spirit to come and dwell within us. Because we don't want that cleansing to go on and then not replace it with something better and stronger. So Father, would You not come and meet with us? And Father, we commit before You today, we are going to search for You We're going to long for You. We're going to hunt for You. And we're not going to give up. We're like that widow. We're going to keep pounding on Your door until You pour out Your Spirit upon us. It is not enough that we just get by. It's not enough that we survive this life. It's not enough that we even get a little bit better. You have ordained through Your predestination that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And that's what we long for. It's not just about Lord wanting a, a powerful time where we can roll on the floor. It's not just so that we can grow as a church. It's so that we can become more like Jesus. And then out of that place of fullness, that river that erupts within us, you said, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water, out of that place, let it overflow on those around us. We commit to seek You, to long for You, and to encounter You. Lord, by standing, we're saying, the old way doesn't work. The lies are not producing anything good. What we need, Father, is You to come and touch us. And then everything will change. And so we lay hold of you today, Father. Let that become in us a living reality. Lord, more than just increasing our Bible knowledge, more than just spending more time in prayer, good things. But in prayer and in reading our word, let us encounter you. That's our longing and our prayer. Would you not send revival, Father? Revive us again. Oh, Spirit, we pray in your holy name. Amen. Now, my prayer, I don't often do this, what I did today, is that this will just remind you. The way out of this junk isn't just to do a decluttering sale of your life. The way out is to put in something that's stronger, thicker, better, and sweeter. That's the way to change. Amen? Yes. Amen. The Lord bless you. Have a great rest of your day. See-